0: You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinnies.
1: Only on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: It is a special Helen Farmer podcast today. It's Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinnies. Hours of gorgeous food conversation as we speak to experts, producers, chefs, and more. Today, it's having a bit of a deep dive into stone fruit. What exactly is a plucot? I'm still not sure if I'm saying it correctly. What to do with them, how to pick them, how to ripen them. Uh, Also speaking about composting, a bit of a beginner's guide for anyone who wants to get the best from their food waste. Why vitamin D is so important right now. And for desserts, lots of chocolate chat. Enjoy. You're listening to Farmer's
0: Kitchen with Spinneys. Only
1: on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: Delighted to be joined live on air now by Tiffany Eslick, the creative and content manager at Spinney's. Tiffany, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. I have to say the website magazine is just absolutely full of the most beautiful food photography. And I've discussed this before. When food photography is done well, it's amazing. When it's done badly, it can put you right off your supper. So I would say follow Spinney's on social media if you're hungry, because my goodness, it will give you some great ideas. And the magazine's just absolutely full of recipes and ideas and inspirations as well. So that's um, that's what we're talking about today. We're having a bit of a deep dive into stone fruit. And I'm kind of curious in terms of what counts as a stone fruit. In your in your expert opinion, what's in that bucket?
3: So it's basically anything with that, it's called stone or pip. Um, so I don't even know if pip is the right word, it's stick to stone. Um
2: so nectarine, peach, plum, apricot, um, cherry, and then the pluot. Yeah, we, uh, the, the the pluot we're going to come on to because this is boggling my mind. I don't even know how to pronounce it to be completely honest. Um, and <laughs> you figured uh, right, pl- pluot. Um, it sounds like something from the Hunger Games. Um, so <laughs> with um, <laughs> with with sourcing though. Tell me a little bit about how Spinneys forges those relationships with farmers and producers all over the world. And when it comes to stone fruit, where where, where are the families? Where are the guys? Yeah, absolutely.
3: So we source our stone fruit, well, the majority of our stone fruit um, from three suppliers who work very closely with growers in South Africa. And... Why we chose those suppliers and growers is because they really put innovation at the forefront of what they do. And that's something, it's the same ethos that we subscribe to. Um, So we're working with Fruits Unlimited and Stems and then Delecta. And yeah, so Fruits Unlimited works with a company or a farm called Boschendoll. Um, It's actually set um, not far from my house, and it's a farm that dates back to the 1600s, which is just beautiful. But there they're growing um, apricots, pluots, and plums, and they've got about 600. I can't
2: can't hear the word pluot without being like, what is is a pluot? Um, I, I I I love the idea, by the way, of just hundreds of acres of plum trees. I can just imagine how sweet the air must smell, you know bees buzzing yeah. around and ripe fruit that's fallen from the tree it's just it's just idyllic when you think about that gorgeous south african sunshine just it just sounds a- like absolutely. bliss and i know you you managed to get home earlier on and i have to say following you on instagram some of the food you were having in your native south africa just looked <laughs> unbelievable it every every single photo looked like something from a magazine just looked incredible so great you, no honestly um so <laughs> wonderful that um you're managing to get some of these leading suppliers to get this beautiful fruit all the way over. And in terms of seasonality as well, Tiffany, what do we need to know um, about the best time to be having some of these fruits and, you know, certainly even how to pick them?
3: Yeah. So well basically you they start growing them and they're kind of they're early to market because they're growing in the South African two regions. So basically the French Valley or the Ceres Valley. And so that allows start from around November um, and then goes right through to, I'd say, the end of March. You're going to get really great quality fruit then. Um, why these suppliers are great, or these growers, is because the regions that they're in um, kind of guarantee great fruit size, good natural sugar levels, and beautiful colour um, because the region gets really hot summers, and this is the summer time in South Africa, um, and then cold winters, and the stone fruit needs that kind of um, climate to, to prosper. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of the best time when you, you should be buying it. Um, we supply a range of stone fruits, and you can get ripe and ready stone fruit or ones that you need to ripen at home. And if you are going to be doing that at home, um, the best thing is to just actually leave them out on the kitchen counter to ripen at room temperature. Uh, I think people think that they should put it straight into the fridge, and that's not the case. You, um, you want it to smell really fragrant and beautiful, and then just pop it in a sealed container, and you can keep it in the fridge.
2: So it's time to reveal, what is a pluot? <laughs> um, do you want to have any guesses? <laughs> I honestly have, I have no, because a, a, I was thinking plum, but then it would be a, a pluot. I don't know. Yes. What, what is it? What is it? <laughs>
3: so it's, yeah, so it is. It's a cross between, a natural cross between a plum and an apricot. It's around 25% apricot and 75% plum. And so that's why it sort of leads with the name you
4: know, PLU. Um, sounds
3: delicious. Have you tried yeah, one? Yes, I have. I had hundreds on my last trip
2: with <laughs> to meet the grove
3: um, in South Africa. Um, so they, you know, what's nice is they're really quite small. So they've got uh, bigger than an apricot, but still, you know, they're great for snacking. Um, and then they've got that sort of deep, rich plum flavor that comes through. So juicy and lovely yeah
2: oh these sound delicious we are going to be talking about ways to cook with um, stone fruit and some of the best recipes as well so if you want to share yours tell us some of your favorites on 4001 I love this quote from Peter Wolfhart, which is stone fruit varieties like racehorses if bred well they will perform Um, what are some of your (laughs) what are some of your favorites because I have to say I, I when I think of stone fruit I immediately think of holidays I think of being Oh, my goodness, my mouth's watering. I think of being, you know, having, you know, fresh uh, peaches from the market in Spain. Um, You know, I kind of think of sun drenched trips, really. What are some of your favorites on a day to day basis? And I know you're lucky enough to have your office above Spinney's. So you get to pop (laughs) down all the time. (laughs)
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually really love yellow cling peaches, and they come in as a special kind of shipment. You know, when we bring them in, um, I grew up eating those. They they're grown all around where I where my house is, and they're just they sort of they've got that firmest skin, um, but just beautiful yellow flesh on the inside, yellow on the outside, um, and then I love cherries. I think they're absolutely <sighs> fantastic, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would say that stone fruit are probably my favorite type of fruit, actually. A strange
2: so. question for you, and actually, I've got a bit of a mm. bit of a bone to pick with spinneys because we did a previous episode of Farmer's Kitchen um where we created a mango uh prawn burrito. And okay. no offense to any mango lovers out there I didn't like mangoes up until we did this recipe and I've become <laughs> obsessed but mango has a big stone in it why isn't mango I need to I need to get on google but I have to say, yes. and it's, I cannot stop buying mangoes from Spinney's right now. And I'm like eating my way around the full mango selection. Um, I've decided <laughs> well, that's that, good. I, You've got enough, variety. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. Honestly. And I don't want to offend anyone out there from any particular country because I have tried Brazilian, Pakistani, and I have to say Australian are winning for me at the minute. Fresh mango with a little squeeze of lime is blowing my mind. But I am curious why mango is not included on the stone fruits list, also avocado. I've yes. Got many questions. Tiffany, well, it like Go pretty. on, tell me. They should be right. <laughs> they, I mean, maybe they are. Maybe, maybe, yeah,
3: maybe someone they tell they us. Are.
2: And Tiffany, breaking news: mango is a stone fruit. <sighs> okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> also, coconut, also dates and olives. So we are talking. Oh, yeah, I oh, about you it. <laughs> kind of, th- I think like, we kind of think olive savory, but um, I've, I've been having a little, uh, a little two-second investigation. We were talking about pluots. There are also plumcots and apriums. So these are all hybrids, which are crosses between plums and apricots, but differ based on the ratio of plum to apricot. Do you ever have those moments you go back in your head and you go, what am I talking about? How is this my job? (laughs) Pluots are a majority plum. Plum cots are half and half and apriums are more apricot than plum. There you go. Every day is a school day. So what do we do with them, Tiffany? This is what I, I need to get from, from you. What are some of your favorite ways of cooking with them, preparing? I immediately think pies. But what about you? Mm. Yeah, pies are a good one.
3: You know, I think they're such a versatile ingredient. Um, So salads, you can, yeah definitely pies. You can have them at desserts if you just pop them on the barbecue, um, Mm. grill them, and then have them with ice cream. That's, like, something I like to do. Um, They go really well with things like, so, like a tagine, you know, apricots and chicken slow-cooked in a tagine is just fantastic. Uh, You can put them into iced tea, into mocktails, yeah, really anything.
2: You mentioned earlier about how best to to ripen them. What about stoning the fruit? Any tried and tested ways that will not put a knife okay. somewhere where we don't want it?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean the easiest is to run the knife directly through the middle and hope that it's going to come part and half. If you're having problems, I always take the knife and then cut the other way. So I'm essentially breaking it into quarters. That's going to ruin your look if you want perfectly halved <laughs> stone fruit like plums, But um, it will get that, that put off for you. So, yeah, try that.
2: You mentioned putting them on the barbecue and kind of, um, or even just grilling with a bit of a sticky glaze. How do you make a sticky glaze that would work really nicely? You know, ice cream, grilled sticky peaches, maybe you know, kind of a sprig of mint. But what, what how would you make that glaze just to really make it a bit decadent? i it sounds really i mean i
3: just put like a bit of olive oil and some honey sometimes Mm. and sometimes i add some seasoning and it sounds quite strange but i really like to do that um you can you could also just put them on straight um but i think it's better to to brush them with something
2: Um, i'd love to know how to pick i mean should we be afraid of a bruised fruit
3: no, not at all. Those work really, really well in pies, which is what you love. Like, so Honestly, I, w- <laughs> yeah. I, want,
2: I want like cherry cobbler. I want peach pie. I'm craving all of that kind of home comfort yeah. goodness. And it's, it's really interesting. You're not making not- me want it. I'm sorry. Um, but when we think about those kind of food trends as such, something that I feel like so many people are coming back to right now, when there is so much uncertainty, is that comfort food? And that's not to say, you know, your fried chicken and your burgers, but kind of homemade nostalgia. And I think desserts are just a really wonderful way of doing that. And stone fruits really obviously do lend themselves very well to that to that kind of thing. But they're also great in savoury. So some of the recipes that you guys have included and are highlighting online and in the, in the magazine as well, um, smoked salmon and pluot. Let's just recap what a pluot is. It is... Plum apricot, mostly yes. plum. Um, so tell us some of the savoury treats that we could enjoy with some of these stone fruits. What would, what would take your fancy?
3: Well, you know, I mean, yes, our smoked salmon and pluot salad, which is currently in the magazine and it's on our website, um, is a really it's a fun thing to do. With you know, if you've not worked with pluots before, try it.
2: I haven't um. even heard of them before, <laughs> Tiffany. Never mind, bought one or prepared one. <laughs>
3: And I mean, you know, if you're a bit afraid, you can you can swap out any stone fruit. They kind of all add the same, you know, different levels of sweetness and tartness to a dish. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't like the idea of one, easily swap, the, you know, for something else. Um, but yeah, the salad is really, really simple to make. It's smoked salmon, it's watercress, it's the pluots. Um, and what's nice is you've got the different sort of flavors and textures. You know, so you've got that peppery, fresh watercress and then the creamy smoked salmon uh, and then these lovely, juicy, tart pluots. I love the sandwich. Uh,
2: that, that sounds like something that could work as like a kind of an open sandwich as well if you need it. If you're like me, I'm like, can we add bread to any recipe? <laughs> <We> can, that, <laughs> that, that would be really lovely as a kind of a nice fresh weekend lunch um, and with, you know, a nice you know, a zingy dressing, lemon, herbs. I think that sounds gorgeous. Um, Absolutely. And let's, what about, now, I am all about parks at the moment. I just did a little post on Instagram last night about it and I was thinking, we just need to be going out to more parks. The weather's just gorgeous. I'm being outside, packing a picnic, And just really just enjoying this gorgeous, gorgeous Dubai weather. So what about picnic dishes? Anything that we could take on our travels, including some of these fruits?
3: Well, I mean, this salad would be perfect. Mm. You just could layer it up in a jar. Um, you, You know, the dressing that comes with the recipe, you can kind of make in advance and have it in a separate little container or pop it in the bottom of a jar, then layer up your salad. And then when you get there, just shake and serve.
2: And yeah. Now, one of, one thing that really caught my eye, actually, in the, in the magazine was about kind of balsamic roasting some of these fruits. And I feel like, we, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, fruits, pie. But balsamic roasted plum salad with buffalo mozzarella, toasted almonds, and basil. That is a showstopper. That sounds amazing. Um, and some of the cheeses that you guys have in store are just phenomenal. I know some are locally created, you know, from Ras um Buffalo mozzarella or burrata—this is just sounds absolutely sensational. Could we add any other textures or any other flavors to that?
3: Absolutely. You know, you can add I think truffle oil added to this would be amazing. You definitely want to make sure you do have one of the cheeses though, um, because you want that luscious texture in the salad. Um, but yeah, it is it, a showstopper. It's so easy to make. Um, don't be scared of you know roasting your plums. And yeah, you could. It's also got a topping of kind of like of nuts, but you could pick any nuts that you want. So we'd said
2: almonds, but you could use hazelnuts or anything that you like. And let's go to some nice hot mains. I was going to say some winter warmers. It's a balmy 28 degrees outside today, but I still am wearing, you know, all of the layers in the morning. And come the evening, it is surprisingly chilly. And you mentioned earlier how well some of these stone fruits can work in things like tagines. Um, and, And there's a marinated peach and lamb kebab recipe that sounds absolutely amazing. So what do we need to know and how can we get our hands on some of the key ingredients? So
3: we've used um, a deburned lamb shoulder in this recipe, and we say, you know, cut it into cubes. But a much easier way is to just go and get pre-cut cubes of lamb, which we have not finished. <laughs> just <get> someone else <laughs> to do it.
2: Yeah, that yeah. Sounds, sounds like my kind of cooking.
3: Okay. <laughs> but, you know, if you've got hours to cut up <laughs> your lamb shoulder, then go ahead. Um, and so, you, yeah, you need that. Um, this, this can be done in your oven um, under the grill, but... It's probably better on a barbecue. You're going to get those, you know, that really smoky flavor to this as well. Um, and you could, if you don't want to use lamb, it actually works with chicken or beef um, because of, you know, stone fruit being so versatile as well. So it's got a fantastic spicy marinade, easy to make, and it would work with any of the the different types of proteins. And you know, you could also add some veggies to it. Um, it's a pretty simple recipe, but yeah, you can, so if you wanted to add some roast peppers or some onion to this, I think it would be really, really good as well. Oh. And it comes with a fantastic minty yogurt, which, you know, you need with lamb. So,
2: I am yeah. really hungry now. I, I am someone mm. who very much plans their days around what they're going to eat. And I'm thinking ahead to dinner And I'm like, hmm, hmm, what <laughs> should we have? Should we have a little... Do you know what I had for my lunch yesterday? And you know how much I love the Spinney's Dali counter is the moroccan couscous and i think that would work so nicely with peach and lamb kebabs that would be such an easy side tiffany as you said you were lucky enough to go to your native south africa and meet some of the producers who create farm and really tend to some of the gorgeous fruit that ends up on our shelves where can we see more of those photos and learn, learn a little bit more
3: Well, definitely check out our Meet the Producer section in our magazines. Um, We cover an extensive range of stories with every issue, um, as well as our website. And on YouTube, we've got some fantastic videos that we shot there, um, so you can actually meet all the growers and just see the beautiful surroundings. And, of course, the
2: stone fruit trees. It just looks so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of your ideas and inspirations. I'm expecting to see a spike in sales over the weekend as we all go and make some peaches with sticky glaze to have with our ice cream and peach tagines and mangoes, Australian mangoes for the win. Uh, Tiffany, thank you so, so much. Really, really appreciate your time. And it's spinneys.com where you can have a look at the online magazine there. And of course, it's on the shelves right now. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys.
1: Only on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: It is all about composting now. Delighted to be joined on the line by UCL Dave. Originally a physicist, a researcher and university professor in quantum physics, He's now pivoted towards sustainability and when it comes to solar energy, then has founded Idama, a social enterprise based in Mazdar City that does training, workshops, consultancy on all aspects of environmental living, energy, food and architecture. And it's composting we are talking about today. Um, Unsi, you'll be pleased to hear I actually stuck my nose into our home composter this morning and had a little, little bit of a look of see how things are, things are going. Composting has got pretty popular in the last couple of years. Why do you think that is?
5: Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, so th- thank you. Thank you for hosting me. Uh, first. Pleasure. Uh, and uh, it it got got popular for a very good reason, which is that it's, uh, it's uh, it helps the environment and therefore us. Um, we do produce a lot of food waste. And although we are somehow getting more and more conscious about it, it uh, it requires um, uh, some some change to change that and although we decrease a bit the food waste we still produce a lot of it and food waste when sent to the um, to the landfill uh, becomes toxic which is really really sad because the same food waste could just become uh, well uh, super fertile soil Mm -hmm. Um, and it's extremely easy to do that it's just what you what you mentioned it's composting uh, it's, it's a recycling, it's a type of recycling, it's a recycling of food. And um, I, and and, I feel and like
2: with food waste as well, over the course of the last year, and I feel like so many of us have become perhaps increasingly aware of exactly how much food is coming into the home, yeah. but also leaving the home, um, you know, in our, in our bins, when so much of it mm-hmm. could be, you know, put back in. So I do feel like the pandemic has definitely played a bit of a role in forcing us to re-examine food waste. And it's lost money in some ways, you know. It comes down to not perhaps planning our shopping as well as we as we could do, but it's also, as you mm-hmm. say, that environmental impact. Um, and yeah, the, the, you it's, know, it's
5: true that the, the the pandemic did play a role, huh? so 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 there. So so we the, our impact on the environment changed completely, mm-hmm. and for, yeah weirdly enough, uh, more to the better. But with food and food waste, we're ordering a lot, we're we're cooking a lot at home. I tend to think it's a good thing. But at the same time we produce a lot of, of packaging waste and, and food waste. That's right. So um so be becoming conscious of that is, is, is important and realizing that with your food waste you can have your own fertilizer completely organic fertilizer and that this recycling this composting operation is so easy that you can actually do it uh, do it at do it at home really
2: so let's share how um for anyone who's listening they kind of go well yeah but i've only got a balcony or i haven't got the time to tend to a compost bin in the way that you know generations gone by might have spent hours in their garden we're all leaving you know busy lives Mm. can you bust a few myths and tell us exactly for a complete beginner how can you start mm-hmm. to compost?
5: Yeah. So, so the first thing to to say is to realize that that nature does things quite well, and that composting happens every day, everywhere in the in the world. You you walk in a forest, you walk in a in a park, you see dead leaves. They just decompose naturally with with um, with oxygen and light, and they become fertile soil. So then the idea is to reproduce this operation at home. So you have really two, two, two ways or two technologies in in scientific terms. The first one is imitating nature strictly, which is just letting things decompose you you what you will need to do is to ensure an equilibri- an equilibrium between uh, what we call green and brown, so fresh stuff like uh, vegetables that you just um, uh, cooked or that you just uh, that are coming from your cooking, and brown stuff which is dead leaves, coffee ground, everything that is not fresh any anymore. Uh, and so these these will decompose very very simply they will decompose when, when once they are put in a bin and that oxygen and light reaches them now I, I I know what you're going to say and what people will say. This is going to bring insects. This is going to bring a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> um, it's 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 not. I cannot say it's wrong, but not as much as you think.
2: No, not so at all. Indeed, as, as I said, I, we we have a like a plastic bin, and I lifted the lid this morning because tragically I had to put my Valentine's flowers in. They were they they'd got past their best, and yes, there were a few mm-hmm. flies around, but th- it was very much contained. And I'm always surprised yeah. by the lack of smell. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like oh you know yeah. i feel like it would really stink out the house or the garden and that's really not the case it's actually quite no, a, it's actually quite all. a lovely smell and i know that there's passionate composters out there who will be nodding along going yeah, yeah. He, yeah. i've got friends and um, the, in the you know, who were it's like, very easy to it is really easy this to this get thing. started what kind of vessels would you normally recommend for someone who has, is looking to get composting for the first time
5: so, I'll, I'll, so, so, just about the smell—it's a forest smell—and mm. and really, uh, yeah, yeah, if people do it and try it, uh, it is a forest smell. Uh, so, for this technology that I was just saying, which is letting things decompose and imitate nature with with light and oxygen, you um, you need you need a bin uh, and space. That's it. So, if you don't have even a balcony, then I would not advise this inside the home. But if you have a balcony, then that's it—you can do it on the balcony. And uh, the trick here is not to put any animal waste, so not no milk, no no uh, no meat. no cheese, no meat, because then that might bring insects. That although they are good for nature, they they, they you will not you will not like them. But just vegetables and crops and uh, and uh, cereals and 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 and, and etc. Those are those are perfectly uh, fine. And remember to add so fresh and brown, so, so green and brown uh, alternatively. Once a week you will turn this, you will mix this um, and, and after two or three months uh, you have uh, uh, compost that smells like forest. Pay attention that compost is super fertile soil, so if you directly put seeds in them uh, this, will, uh, this will really uh, like be, uh, if the, if the seed will, will, would be taking like uh, you know, amphetamines or something, it would be too much. So you have to mix it with normal soil. Um, and then if you have a garden and you can put the compost a bit for, far from your home, then you can put anything in it. And then you also asked me uh, about people who have uh, only apartments. So here is wh- uh, where I want to introduce a second technology that is called the Bokashi technology. It's slightly more complicated but it doesn't produce any um, any interaction so there will be no insects and etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy Bokashi, uh, Bokashi boxes uh, online. There is a there there is one or two shops in in uh, in dubai maybe I'll, i can give a couple of names at yeah, the yeah of
2: course no you can um, share now i'm sure we've already had lots of messages yeah. in for you so by all means share
5: okay so so then yeah so so um, so actually um, on on our website we have uh, because we were talking about that today we have an article related to composting uh, so on on idama website social media etc uh, as a disclaimer we do not sell any so this is all redirecting so we we teach the technology we mm-hmm. teach how to do it right so you have my green chapter that is um that's what we got asked that is an online <laughs> shop um and that and and you have agriculture box uh, that mm-hmm. is uh, for people who are a little bit more uh, more advanced and really want to go into uh, like into doing things uh, themselves and do, do, do those those gather i think all the all the levels of uh, of expertise and so the bokashi box you buy it you put food in it and then you close it hermetically and therefore there is really no communication with the with outside and there are then after some time I mean, there are a number of manipulations that that will be uh, explained in the in the procedure in the in the user's manual, and that I don't need to explain here. But honestly, it's very simple. It's really, it's very simple. So There's n- no major difficulty.
2: We've had a number of questions, messages in, and as I said, it is a passionate pocket of the UAE. There are Facebook groups uh, dedicated to this exact conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Theresa's been in touch uh, and saying we're having an area of our garden redone, and it will come include a compost area. We currently have two compost bins made of old pallets which are rotting away so it'd be nice to get something properly constructed the area will be about Mm -hmm. three meters square what would you recommend really to look looking forward to making the most of composting over the next few years so a bit of a dream project there for any uh, any composter what what would you advise therese if she's got the opportunity to redo a garden and include some composting
5: it's indeed a dream project, and uh, and indeed, so it depends a bit a bit if they want to build it themselves or if they uh, want to ask someone in. But in that case, for a tailored uh, for a tailored solution uh, done by someone, I would con- uh, advise to contact agriculture box that that can build it for you. Contact us if you want to build it yourself. Um, and and in a nutshell, do maybe three boxes three wooden boxes at the as they had, but one next to the other for the for for having a continuous uh, feeding of the of the boxes so first one then second one then third one while they are feeding the third one the first one will be finished oh, uh, and clever. then they can empty it and, re- and start filling it again
2: like a little production line going on in Teresa's garden love it yeah yeah um and Emma's been in touch saying thank you for this can we put dried expired spices in <laughs> Emma whenever mm-hmm. i move house i bring the same bags of spices that i've been carrying around with me <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all got some in the back of the cupboard. Any do's and don'ts about spices?
5: No, it's spices are considered brown material, no problem. They can she can put as much as she wants. The overall rule is a bit more brown than green. Mm-hmm. But the thing is it depends so much on the microscopic composition that I don't want to be too picky on that. Okay. Just alternate green, brown, green, brown and once a week mix them. That's 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 all really.
2: We also put in eggshells, we put in um, kind of plain yes. cardboard and that kind of thing. Well, yes. you, you said earlier, absolutely no dairy, no meat products, um, no, if no it, if cheese. If it's near your house. If, yeah, because if there it's will it's be some consequences. As much as she's saying, Bakashi doesn't yes. produce compost, it pickles and makes composting faster. What, uh, what would you say to that point there? It's coming in 4001.
5: Uh, sorry if what makes composting
2: faster uh Bokashi doesn't produce compost it pickles and makes composting faster is there a distinction there
5: mm-hmm. um I, I, uh, I didn't get it i'm sorry me, me I think it's just t-
2: to do with the, to do with the different methods um i wanted to ask mm-hmm. you if if people wanted i just kind of want to experiment uh, if people if people
5: want to make composting faster I'm yeah. sorry variation in accent i'm sorry for that (laughs) so uh, so
2: (laughs) so So i think people can accelerate it
5: yeah yeah yeah, they can accelerate it absolutely well although i would advise i mean if possible to uh, avoid accelerating just let it let it be because it's so easy when you let it be but yes we can accelerate it so you have uh, the first way is the one i mentioned earlier so bokashi b-o-k-a-s-h-i i I advise uh, people to to look for it You you trap food in a perfectly closed box and um, another phenomenon will happen, it's called fermentation, and this will accelerate the decomposition. However, you uh, you will need to take care of the juice that this produces and that it's extremely, extremely energetic, so you will need to dilute it. Uh, But this does accelerate. So from three months, you you go down to one month. And then there is another method that people sell sometimes, and we saw articles about it, which is drying the foods. So, there are tools that are sold that are electricity based that dry the food and convert it in a powder. I just would like to clarify that this is not compost. This is a kind of vitamin for the soil. It's for sure better than to throw food uh, in in the in the landfill. But it, but, but, I, but it won't do to you, the, to your plants, the same effect as compost. It will just be a vitamin, but it will not be a fertiliser. Um, so, before uh, I, but, I let you go and see, hand, it's, it's I, just,
2: I just wanted to ask you something um, which kind of alarmed me when I was doing a bit of research on this. Uh, what, where, where do we stand on putting banana peels in? Because I swear our house gets to about three kilos of bananas a week and the peels always go in. It's probably about a third of our compost. Can is that okay? A third, <laughs> mm, probably yeah. That, <laughs> it's that, significant. That's perfectly
5: totally fine. Okay, good. Uh, now banana peels are thick, and so they take time. That's that's all. You might if you really have a lot of them. Just consider they are green; eh? they are green matter. So we remember to put the brown matter. So to get the ratio stuff and coffee. Brilliant. You yeah, to get the ratio. But then, otherwise, you're 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 decelerating. So you're 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 slowing down the process a bit because banana leaves are thick and they take time to decompose. But not much more than that, I have to say.
2: Thank you for busting some myths. Really appreciate your time. It's Unzi Aldo, President With and pleasure. CEO of Edama. Now go yeah. forth. Can, can I add one last? Of course, sentence? you can.
5: It's just I want I just want to say so so you know nature is made in a beautiful way that everything that falls and dies is used as is used back into the natural cycle, so if ever people don't want to do compost that's totally fine. Uh, I mean I, I would prefer if they do, but totally fine. Just the the in that case, take your foods and and just drop it in a natural environment in the desert in a forest wherever. Just put it outside anywhere but in the landfill, just give it back to nature.
2: That Circle would be the only life.
5: thing. Remember to contribute to the cycles, supernatural cycles. It's a pity that we put things in these black holes that are that are landfills. Well so said. let's try not to do it as much as possible.
2: Wincy, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your insights thank and you your sentiment. Have a wonderful weekend.
0: You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys,
1: only on Dubai Eye
2: 103.8. And wonderful to have you with us. We are talking food, we're talking health, and bringing those together is vitamin D. It has to be said that perhaps we've never discussed it so much in the last year. And to demystify and help us get our dose is Dr. Rania from Sir Court Care Clinic. Um, Dr. Rania, why is this such a hot topic right now? How is it linked to COVID? Hi, Helen. Um,
3: so over, over the last few months, um, it's emerged that certain places in the world where vitamin D uh, deficiency was not as much of an issue uh, had less um, in the way of COVID cases, and then lots of research has gone in uh, to f- further sort of um, uh, you know uh, confirm the fact that vitamin D is not just a vitamin which helps us absorb calcium and is good for our bones, but it also does help um, attenuate or improve immune responses. So uh, many, many places, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, did, it did take to uh, boosting vitamin D supplements together with vitamin C and zinc and others mm-hmm. as soon as someone was diagnosed with COVID or even in the run up to, to, to catching COVID or trying to prevent catching COVID. And, and there are mixed results from studies, but there is a lot to support that good vitamin D levels can help us not necessarily avoid infection, but perhaps have a better immune response and avoid complications
2: and there's never going to really going to be a downside presumably of taking vitamin D so why not but how best to take it because i've heard it's one of these vitamins that can actually be a bit tricky for absorption how do you best supplement
3: yeah. So the thing, the, the interesting thing about vitamin D is it is the one vitamin that our bodies make. Mm-hmm. Okay. So which which all the other vitamins we would get through our food. The one thing about vitamin D and food is there aren't that many foods that have it in enough of a, of, a, of a sort of supply. So you're looking at things like egg yolks, fish, um, um, mushrooms, and of course being out in the sun because our skin is our vitamin D factory. But with the, with sun health and with awareness of skin cancer risk. You know, that's another reason why even in the hottest, most sunny countries, vitamin D deficiency is present. So the best way to take it is to try and increase your intake of those foods or even um, dairy products, which are fortified with vitamin D, uh, orange is sometimes fortified with vitamin D as are cereals, but supplements. And it is best absorbed. It's a fat soluble vitamin. So it's best absorbed in that, in that scenario where, you know, in fatty foods. So something like milk or like eggs or like in, in in that way. Um, uh, and yes, there are so many supplements, so many child friendly supplements, adult friendly supplements. They come in drops, they come in gelatin forms, they come in, you know, high doses, small doses. The one thing to note, though, is because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, there is a chance of toxicity. Mm-hmm. So it's unlike vitamin B and C, where our bodies get rid of the excess. If we do overdo the, the quantity we're taking in, there is a chance of of having toxic levels. But I have to say, you really have to be on very high doses for a very long time to get there.
2: And when it comes to supplements, is there an optimum time of day to be taking vitamin D? Is it best to have it in the morning with your breakfast or before you go to bed? It does not really make a difference.
3: I don't think it makes that much of a difference. You know, I tend to advise vitamin D in the morning. Um, uh, As a pediatrician, you know, many of my patients will put it in in their children's milk if they go for the drop form or have it after breakfast. I do prefer to have vitamins taken after, you know, after a meal. So I think first thing in the morning with with other vitamins is absolutely fine. You're better off having it with something milky than a glass of
2: orange juice, let's say. Okay. And interesting, we were talking about different food sources and you mentioned mushrooms. Interestingly, Spinney's is working with Canoco Farms and they're creating mushrooms enriched with vitamin D. They expose them to a certain specters of light, which naturally increase those vitamin D production. So tasty and, uh, and getting your dose. And we've had a number of messages on this topic, Dr. Rania. Dan's saying, do babies really need vitamin D drops? My wife is pregnant. Doctor mentioned it. Seems they ha- they're they high in sugar and some time on the balcony might be as effective. What do you say as a pediatrician?
3: Um. I- well, first of all, yes, they absolutely need vitamin D. And if a baby's breastfed, as much in the way of supplements as the mum's taking, breast milk has been shown to be not as vitamin D rich as we would like for the baby. And time on the balcony is fantastic if the baby's fully naked for long enough and to be indirect sunlight, which is obviously not great for the baby's um, health. And many people do mistakenly think that having a baby's hands and face exposed is enough in terms of vitamin D production. It is about the surface area, um, uh, you know, sort of situation. So the the more the surface area of your skin exposed to the sun the more vitamin d you make but he is right that so many of the supplements are very sugar rich but there are so many in the way of uh, sugar free um, uh, concentrated supplements where it's literally just a couple of drops and most of them are literally vitamin d in just some oil some olive oil because that's how it's best absorbed brilliant. so um uh, there you know uh, there, there there's a lot if they do look you can order them online here you can buy them at pharmacies you don't have to go for the sugary ones
2: brilliant okay that helps a lot. um charlie's saying how does dr rania feel about vitamin infusions i love the idea of a custom blend but very expensive what would you say about that you know what, honestly, the, the
3: the sort of the cliche I use with lots of my patients saying eat the rainbow is probably the best thing we can do, which is eat foods of different colors, different sources, you know, which contain um, all the vitamins and minerals we need. Vitamin D is special in that it isn't found in that many foods and you have to eat a lot of those mushrooms, which I love, by the way, those are the only ones I buy, um, and a lot of fish. and Plenty of egg yolks to get enough with all the other vitamins. If we have a balanced diet where we're eating, uh, you know, fresh food, um, you, you will get enough. i I personally don't, I can't say I know enough about vitamin infusions, but it worries me having very high doses infused in, you know, as, as an alternative to good, to a good diet.
2: I wanted to ask you, bringing it back to COVID, because it's been oh about six minutes since yeah. I've said the word, but I think it is really important now. <laughs> and We've got, um, thankfully, act, active cases going down, but that means a, a lot of people who have had COVID and are now thinking about their health moving forward. Um, when it comes to how we should be living our lives and living our healthiest lives, what do you think supplement wise can be really beneficial for the immune system?
3: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a fantastic big group that we're meeting more and more of mm-hmm. these days called the COVID Survivor. Basically, and and we're finding as doctors that we do have to consider these patients as different, you know, to to the p- person trying to avoid COVID or battling COVID as we speak. And COVID affects people in different ways, but some people do find that even though they had mild symptoms, they end up with long-term fatigue, you know, reduced stamina when they when when it comes to exercise, um, uh, all of that. So so yes, we do have to look at. I mean, I think a checkup, a post-COVID checkup, which is what they're beginning to be known. as now as, is, is, is definitely a good idea for these people who do have lingering symptoms, where if you go to your family doctor or your pediatrician, if the patient is a child, go, can go through all the symptoms, the need for any uh, blood tests or, or other investigations to look for any deficiencies and to boost them, uh, whether vitamin D is one of them, sometimes it's iron, sometimes it's other things. Um, so I do think that, yes, there is something to look at. You know, COVID as as a virus, as many of the viruses does, could, could deplete a lot of mm-hmm. our um, Uh, vitamin levels, especially if we started off with low levels to begin with.
2: So, going along, getting a checkup—you know, check your lungs, you know, get some get some blood work done to, you know, as you say, check the antibodies, check what's happening in terms of deficiencies, yeah. and uh, and you can move forward and hopefully feel a lot healthier. So, to anyone who is feeling unwell this afternoon, sending you all the good vibes, Dr. Rania. Thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure to get some sensible, no nonsense advice. Wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead.
0: You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys,
1: only on Dubai Eye. 103.8. Oh, that
2: was gonna be tummy's rumbling across Dubai because we are talking sweet, sweet chocolate with a woman who might have the best job title in the world. It's Kathy Johnson, aka the Chief Chocolate Officer at Mirzam Chocolate, based in Al Sakal. Kathy, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Tell me you've got a business card that says that, please. <laughs>
4: I do. In the beginning, I, I had it short to CCO. No! Because I, I, I didn't think that anybody would take a chief chocolate officer that seriously. It's a very serious uh, I've seen job. have written it out in full because it's
2: so, it's so <laughs> wonderful. The only thing that could make that business card better if it was like a scratch and sniff paper and it just got the <laughs> sweet smell of chocolate drifting out from your wallet. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been with the company for just over four years um, and I really want you to kind of lift the lid, so to speak, on what happens at Mirzam. For anyone who's not familiar with the brand, who hasn't been in for the tour, or haven't even tried the chocolate themselves, which is now... And I saw it a lot over Christmas, actually, as well, and Valentine's Day. We oh, were talking. exciting. It's, go- it's absolutely gorgeous. I actually did do a chocolate tour as part of um, Ramadan a number of years ago with my daughter. And it was just oh, absolutely... Gorgeous, but can you give us a bit of history? When was Merzam launched? Who by, and why? So Merzam
4: launched in September 2016. Over after about a couple of years of of research into how to make chocolate from cocoa beans. So in, in obviously, or generally all chocolate in the world starts with cocoa bean, unless it's, you know, really low quality uh, chocolate can be made with some sort of artificial version of chocolate, uh, cocoa beans. But um, we wanted to make chocolate with just cocoa beans and sugar, two ingredients, dark chocolate, without adding flavors, preservatives, any chemical emulsifiers to try and speed up the process, but work from bean to bar. And... It, at a uh, commercial scale the, the machinery that's generally available to make chocolate that way works in in just the dozens of tons sort of size machinery and we were looking at producing really craft scale chocolate using a very small machines and small batches working with farmers that were really able to handle the fermentation and farming in a sustainable way that, and they don't produce a lot of cocoa beans So we needed to find machinery that would work Mm -hmm. with the small batch. And our batch size is usually around 30 kilos with our single-origin chocolate bars. And we also needed to find the cocoa beans. So that took a while to come together. Um, And then we also had to design and build our factory, which we we opened. We were in Carl Mm -hmm. Avenue. That space closed in April last year. And we've moved about 10 minutes down the road, five minutes down the road even, Um, into Alcoz 3 into a bigger factory space which has a dedicated area for tours and workshops.
2: Amazing! So while
4: it it wasn't the best time to move into a space that had a more dedicated area, this, I, I'm sure that you will remember in the in the old space, we had our factory tour and shop and cafe all on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of school groups coming through and educational, uh, quite a big educational program. So we redesigned the process so that there was a dedicated area for tourism workshops. So that they could happen with a little kitchenette, would do chocolate making and chocolate moulding, sort of little programmes and on
2: all of the wrapper stuff that we oh, used to do. Never wanted chocolate more. I'm, I'm, <laughs> what, what, a couple of things I'd really like to highlight about the brand, and this is this is me as a, a fan, really, is the unique flavour combinations. Can you explain some of your most popular? And please tell me this is part of your job to do some tastings. <laughs>
4: Uh, it, is, it is part of my job every single day to to taste chocolate. We are um, actually working on a really fun recipe at the moment for Easter because we've wanted to, you know, in the beginning, we just made dark chocolate bars. We were really interested in, in having good quality cocoa beans and figuring out the best way to make them into bars. We weren't really sure whether or not this, you know, the community here would be, Um, that opened to such a different product to what was available in the market, which was generally very sweet, milky chocolates with, you know, praline bases. And they all look like truffles and gifts where we were producing something with just cocoa beans and sugar. Mm-hmm. And once we started that, we realized how much people were really interested in having great chocolate here. We started, you know, we we jumped from there into looking at other products like Easter eggs <laughs> and, all the, and our Valentine's Day and, and truffles and things like that. But we wanted to create these like, Easter eggs that really connected to to us, so they're chocolate eggs, but you know we look for all of our ingredients, and that's the spices as well as the cocoa beans, with uh, to come from countries that are located on the spice route. Mm. So these are the you know countries that are historical traders from this area traveled to with dows. They followed the stars for navigation, and Mirzam's the name of one of those stars. And so we try to, you know, make this connection really authentic to the history of the UAE, the history of the Gulf, and the history of the Spice route. And so with our Easter eggs, what we've done is we've picked three birds that either travel to the UAE during uh, different seasons, like the flamingo, or are, you know, uh, one of the, the birds that only live in this region. And we have created eggs that are inspired by the birds and the eggs that are in this area. Oh, yeah, but
0: what, they're
2: coming. But, and we've been of, testing love kind, them. Oh, tough job, Chief <laughs> Chocolate Officer. So what, so what kind of flavours can we expect for Easter then? Uh, the flamingo one, we
4: have made a white chocolate uh, that is full of freeze-dried raspberry and raspberry chips. <gasps> so it looks. It looks like a pink speckled egg. It's really beautiful, and then we've also created a Hobara egg, which is another bird that sort of—it's not just in the UAE, but across its region—and that has hazelnuts and some a mix of different types of chocolates. It really looks—it looks like an egg.
2: Oh my goodness! Okay, I'm I'm going to have to come shopping on the way home. The other thing <laughs> I wanted to point out was. Um, how, how beautiful the packaging is to be honest and it's no, that's that to me makes something feel like such a gift whether that's something that you're buying for yourself at the end of a long week and you're going to sit down and really savour every bite or if you're going to someone's home and want them to experience something yeah. or I think the ultimate souvenir and while we haven't got many guests right now I'm sure that is really something that you'd love visitors to the region to try, you know, to to get an understanding. And you've got the Emirati collection as well, the honeycomb and, you know, the of the white chocolate. So I'm really hungry. And we've been discussing the flavour combinations that you're coming up with for the Easter eggs. And I think what's so interesting is the level of creativity. You know, you've got... Uh, cardamom with squash um you know cocoa butter milk um and i just wondered if there have any been any flavor fails cathy in the past where creativity has gone a bit crazy in the kitchen i i think i think very
4: uh, one of the first collections that we did so we started with our maps and monsters which is the single origin and the signature spices in this area and then we were exploring different parts of the spice routes. So there's all these recipes that are really endemic to different areas and the trading that was happening at different times of the year, depending on the seasonal winds. And one of the, one of the most beautiful trading relationships uh, with the Gulf is India. And that trade of the ingredients and spices happened at the start and end of the monsoon season when the winds were strong enough to, to push the dows to India and then back again. And so we were looking at all of these recipes and, and this the history of the produce that's grown at that time of year. And one of the recipes that we started looking at then, I had this, this picture in my mind of being able to make a chocolate bar that was filled with a lime Turkish delight. So it was oh, that like. That sounds great. A, it does sound great. But when you use, if you're trying to make. Um, some you know this, this jelly filling mm-hmm. with, with organic lime and real lime, and it, it just came out tasting like awful lime cordial. We just couldn't make it. Like you, you sort of ha- even have to use artificial lime to get it to taste it's like, like how wrong. people expect the lime to taste. The organic lime just tasted so wrong. So and it was this, so it was lime in the middle and chili on the outside, and it just ended up becoming um, a, a chili bar made with Kashmiri peppers.
2: What is the most popular flavor or bar that you sell? What's the big, the big, you know, number one? Ah, uh, it's I get asked this
4: question a lot,
2: and it's a really
4: complicated because as a small factory, we produce small batches of all of our products, and so when you look at the end of the year to try and figure mm. out which ones are the most popular, we often have long periods of time with different bars not available, so it's hard to tell. And then we. We sell here in the UAE, but the chocolate is also available across the U.S., uh, Switzerland, France, Australia. The so, so chocolate's being sold in different places, and different people purchase, different like communities around the world purchase in quite a different way. Okay. What I think the most popular bar is here is probably our Acida, which is part of our Emirati collection, and these are based on um, recipes that are really treasured and authentically local, and the Acida is a... I, I translate it into pumpkin pie. It's made with a local type of squash mm, yummy. and spiced with cardamom, sometimes saffron and rose as well. But it's really like a, a delicious, gooey pumpkin-based dessert. And we've we've interpreted that into chocolate as a richly caramelized white chocolate that we spice with cardamom. And that one is we can't keep. With that one, we use it. Well, we use it to make um, to make the chocolate bars. We also make a line of caramels with it for Ramadan. But we also we turned it into this um, hot fondant dessert. So it's like a a molten lava cake.
2: What are you doing that's, to me? That that's amazing. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you because you have done, you know, being a homegrown business here in the UAE, you work a lot with other small businesses. I know you've done collaborations with Canvas uh, Gelato, with 1001 Gourmet. And then to now be on the shelves of Spinneys. And I think for a long time you were this kind of little hidden secret that many of us kind of kept close to our chest. And now you're on the shelves. And that's that's actually an amazing breakthrough for, for any company. How do you see Mirzam evolving then over the next few years?
4: Um, I think that the the plans and dreams that we had... Uh, along with everybody else's a year and a little bit ago now, have have changed significantly. And the long term, one of the original goals that we had from Islam was to produce a product that visitors to the UEE could uh, eat and enjoy and take away mm-hmm. as a gift that was authentically local. So it, it's made here. We use local recipes. We buy local wherever we can for our ingredients. Uh, everything in our cafe is, is locally grown or produced produce, and we wanted people to be able to actually get something, not that's you know imported from Saudi or from from anywhere else, and take that away, but actually take something away that was made here. And what has been quite uh, different to what we expected is the enthusiasm and passion of the community here, the local community as well as the expat community and residents, for what is happening here. And we have continually tried to work really hard to reinforce that great quality food can be made locally. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be imported. And where you can support local farmers and local food businesses, you will continue to foster great quality in that sector of the market. And it's it's just so important that that becomes an you know, it's important from a food security perspective, but it's also really it's something it's a matter of pride for those of us who've lived here for a long time and I have I've lived here since I was three. We were always really excited when some international brand would show up and be available. And I'm so excited now to, you know, thirty years later be seeing local businesses produce award winning international quality that can be exported from the UAE. And that's something that we really want to continue to work on. We benchmark our chocolate against, you know, what's happening around the world at the best quality standards. We've won 17 international awards for that and we want to continue, I think, to highlight to people and make available what great chocolate is.
2: I couldn't agree more. I think it's a really exciting time to be here and as you say, it's it's always you know interesting to see who's coming in and who's taking over spaces here and the collaborations we're seeing, but it's more exciting to me to hear about homegrown brands opening restaurants in London, to see, you know, hear the likes of Mirzan being sold in, you know, across the US and Europe. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I think you're right, a real point of pride. Um, Catherine, we've had a number of messages of people, of people saying how to visit. Um, I know traditionally, as I said, I've been on one of your tours. How are you making that possible and safe right now? And what have you got coming up in terms of events and, uh, and visits? Um, so at the moment, tours can be booked, tours and workshops
4: through our WhatsApp uh, line, and there we stick to single household bookings. So as long as everybody who joins the tours are a group of people that live together, they can attend together. Um, and then we have these different types of things. So there's mini tours where you just get an overview of the production process, but there's also little workshops and tours and tastings. And they the WhatsApp team have the full menu and schedule of all of those things.
2: There's lots coming up. I'm having a quick losy on the website. You've got chocolate moulding, chocolate cookie making for families, um, chocolate dates making and family workshops as well. So chocolate
4: dates making is really good fun. That's a really, really good one because the chocolate is is vegan to ingredient dark chocolate. The dates were locally grown. So it's quite educational as well as, I think, a nice balance of healthy in there.
2: So you're saying I can eat chocolate and my children can make a mess. It's someone else's place? Sold. Thank you so much. <laughs> Kathy. it's Mirzam.com for anyone who wants to go along and check out the offering, both in terms of workshops um, and the products. It's on shelves in Spinneys. Huge congratulations on everything you've achieved. And I would love to come along and check out the new space. Looks absolutely gorgeous. You've made us very hungry Indeed.
0: You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys.
1: Only on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: We are talking food, of course. It's Thursday, it's Farmer's Kitchen. and joined on air now by Lindsay Battles from Food Website. I eat my peas. A trained chef and recipe developer. Since having children, she's turned her attentions and talents to creating dishes from weaning to family dinners. Lindsay, thank you so much. Um, I have to say, the photos you share are gorgeous. The recipes are amazing and there have been some real favourites in our household that you've been kind of producing over the years and that's from the savoury to the sweet as well and we are talking sweet treats today and it, I find it quite difficult to get the balance because mm-hmm. when you demonise food or say it's a, a treat as, as such, that as we know can create a bit of an interesting reaction in our children in that that's all they want to eat. So what is your general yeah. view on kids um, eating sweet things?
6: Right, well I kind of think the treats is one of those things that's kind of it's in the eye of the beholder. Mm. So it's kind of you know, you know that your children is going are gonna love chocolate, they're gonna love chips, they're gonna love pizza. And that's kind of fine, you know, they're gonna be exposed to it and as you say, like you don't actually want to make it the forbidden fruit, otherwise they completely obsess about it. So I definitely still let my children have those things, you know, have ice cream and but it's just not all the time, and I've also tried to kind of develop um, a, a, a love of actually healthier treats so that they are unaware of. That do you ah, the need.
2: trickery. <laughs> yeah.
6: So, for instance, um, you know, uh, you know, just having dates as a treat, and I know it's a very simple thing, but actually they love them and they get really excited by them. So, to them, not all the time. I mean, if they got shown chocolate and dates, I'm sure they would go. For chocolate all the time but they get they're excited and happy to have dates as a treat mm-hmm. um so i think it's kind of it's teaching them that there's a balance that they're there is it isn't just chocolate or Haribo or whatever that um they can get that hit from
2: yeah, I think that's a really good point actually, and I think um actually, I saw it um someone shared a hint or a tweet on Instagram recently, and it was that they'd never show the kids the packaging of anything <laughs> because when oh, wow. when they see you know like a sweetie wrapper and they associate with what's inside then Mm -hmm. when you are in the supermarket or out and about, they'd go absolutely ballistic for it. So they'll give them the things, but they don't make that association between kind of brands, which I think is really smart. But we've all seen those kids who perhaps have had no, no treats, no ice cream, you know, nothing. And then it is like that kind of unchaperoned birthday party mania when they're they're loose at the party food. Um, And I think balance is, is, is really, really interesting point. You know, if we are doing a snack plate and there's something for after this whole kind of you must clear your plate before having something sweet thing is so done but I find myself falling into that trap all the time unfortunately.
6: Oh we do and we have to let ourselves off from that because you know that happens as well and there's days and times when it's okay but um, it's kind of just leading them to make the slightly better choice and I kind of feel like as parents that kind of our job to give them the options and for the option not always to be the really sugar loaded one you know like for instance I always have you know you always have like brown bananas around the house and and so I always just like put them in the freezer and whenever they whenever they're really saying I really want ice cream I really want ice cream you can just put them like in a food processor or and beat them with kind of a whisk until it's creamy just two bananas so one per person just beat them and it becomes like creamy ice cream i'm not kidding i know it sounds ridiculous but it really does mm-hmm. and the girls absolutely love that just, like served in a bowl and then you know i might put some smarties like a couple of smarties on yeah, top or some sprinkles or or something. Some, yeah exactly or some, or like they can you know yeah as you say like put sprinkles on and to them that's an amazing treat but actually it's an entire banana <laughs> with a tiny little bit of sugar put on top and. Um, so that you know, you kind of just have to think about those kind of options that they'll get really excited. Oh, a little bit of maple syrup drizzled over the top, or something like that.
2: Presentation key as well um, for these yeah. for, for them. Um, I wondered you mentioned dates there, and I know you mm-hmm. um, do some great energy balls, and you use dates quite a lot in your recipes, sweet and and savory. Are there any yeah. other kind of key ingredients that we could pick up off the shelves that would make creating sweet treats um, or just really good kind of larder staples make life a bit easier? Mm-hmm
6: well I think when it comes to sweet things um, like I always have maple syrup and honey because they obviously add that little lift I mean even if you have like a bowl of fruit and again as we say you could put a couple of little chocolates or something and then drizzle with a bit of honey and that would be a lovely little treat Um, also yogurt's quite a handy one if your children like it and also it's you know lots of people are going dairy free so you can get some beautiful like coconut yoghurts as well and with that I often put it into like a um a freezer bag and you can put in some fresh fruit or some like chocolate or nuts and you just put it in the freezer for twenty four hours and then when you take it out it's like um yogurt bark and the oh. absolutely love it.
2: I'd like that. What kind of yeah. yogurt do you no, think exactly coconut yogurt for that would be delicious? What what which so ones the work best? one?
6: E- You want a thick one, so you know, kind of a thick set yogurt. Yeah, you don't want one of the really, but to be honest, I mean, the thinner ones will um, freeze, but it's just they'll go softer very quickly.
2: All right, I love it. Um, What about Mm -hmm. incorporating healthier elements into something that might be, you know, deemed a dessert or baking? Um, I know we talk a lot about kind of hidden veggies and pasta sauces. Is there a way of doing it on the sweeter side?
6: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like carrot cake is obviously the old um, the old classic. I mean, I'm not saying that all carrot cakes are particularly healthy because it does depend on how much.
2: <laughs> how many inches in of frosting there is.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but you can definitely, you know, add root vegetables in. Like butternut works exactly the same as carrot cake. Um, and then just looking for recipes that maybe don't have too much sugar in them. So there's quite a you know if you if you see a recipe that has like some banana in if it's a carrot cake with banana in it that will add some natural sweetness um, maple syrup obviously um, and um, things like courgettes you can also add add into cakes and that kind of just I mean. Also, when you bake those kind of cakes with your kids, they become aware of that ingredient and it makes them more intrigued by it and more likely to try. So I think there's that aspect as well, if you're actually including them in the experience.
2: I love that. Um, Now, one of your most popular and enduring recipes is for your best brownies, which are super, super simple. Are they gluten-free as well? Uh, Yes, they are. Okay, so what do we need... And how to do so it. So, you,
6: yeah, it's very simple. So, it's basically, well, you can obviously up the quantity. These, this is for quite a small one because when I developed it, um, I kind of felt that I didn't want too much of it lying around, otherwise, I'd have just eaten it. So, anyway, so I make, I try and make a small one um, and then you kind of just gobble it up. But if you have a larger family or you want it to go around for, like, say, 60 around for longer, then obviously increase the quantities as, as you want. So, it's for 50 grams of dark chocolate. 50 grams of butter, 50 grams of ground almonds, four tablespoons of maple syrup and one egg. That's it? And Yeah, that's it. And you basically kind of chuck it all together. I mean, you need to melt the chocolate and then you chuck it in and then um, bake it. And it just takes 15 minutes and then it's kind of ready.
2: Super gooey fudgy brownies. Love yeah it. and
6: you can find it on my website if you haven't obviously caught that
1: recipe
2: um and there is an amazing recipe for a willy wonka style waterfall milkshake in the current magazine of spinnies and oh, online as well wow but there are some really nice ways of swapping out some of those ingredients you mentioned coconut um yogurt there so things like there are so many dairy alternatives and really easily mm-hmm. i mean it i was actually in the store this morning and I was completely wowed when you when you actually when you look we don't even need to look it's just overwhelming almost how many how much choice there is there so swapping out milk for you know cashew pistachio oat hazelnut um making sure the dark chocolate is vegan um they how it, it uses malted milk powder that could be re- um, replaced by um maca powder so um really lovely and the vegan ice creams I um oh, I mean addict, addicts are a strong word uh but Halo top has become a problem, (laughs) but they've got some some great ones. The bouja bouja, the Donada as well. So um, there's definitely ways of making swaps for whether it's for because of intolerances or allergies, but also for kind of a healthier healthier outlook as well. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much. For anyone who did miss that recipe, what's the best way of checking you out online and on social media as well?
6: So I'm on Instagram as I eat my peas, and then it's just the same but .com for my website
2: wonderful have a lovely lovely weekend i think we're all gonna be baking you too. and uh talk good to you good. very soon
0: yeah bye you're listening to farmer's kitchen with spinnies only
1: on dubai i 103.8
2: that's farmer's kitchen brought to you by spinnies and you can hear the show live every single thursday from two to five on dubai i 103.8